There is an announcement that I neglected to make during the course of the show. I'm going to uh, clip this a little bit and drop it in the front. Um, Childerberg, 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 Childerberg. There are updates. Go to the official Childerberg website and follow Childerberg on Twitter. Uh, let's go to the Childerberg website, Childerberg.com. This is happening uh, the 23rd through the 26th at Muleshoe Bend Recreationary. It was moved. This is what's on the official website today. Do not take this as gospel. Uh, you're going to need to get signed up for the newsletter and check on the uh, the Childerberg Twitter account and on Childerberg.com um, regularly in the lead up to Friday. Everything's still a little bit in the air. The venue was moved to a backup venue. Things might still fall apart. Nobody knows what's going on with all this COVID shit, but I know Jacob's doing his, his level best to make sure that this thing can, can go off. And if he, if he, if he can't, if it just can't happen, uh, then, um, I'll get with him and, and some of the other guys. And when all this has blown over, I'm sure we can try and set something up. Um, I trust, uh, Jake to do his level best. Um, I know he is, he loves this event and I, I love it too. I love it too. Um, so we'll see. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Get your official updates from those sources that I told you about. Um, let's, uh, let's move on. Let's get to the show. Hey, Mycroft. You want to start the show? Let's see what it does. Just one moment while I look for that. No, don't do anything. My Mycroft. I don't know what it's going to do. Here's the latest news from NPR News now. No! Hey, Mycroft! NPR and the following message come from DuckDuckGo. No, Duck, Duck, shut Go. up! Oh my god, I can't believe it did that! <laughs> Fuck NPR News, let's get the show on the road. Commanding you to bow down. I'm on your side. Branding you as a rebel. But you're not. A traitor. This isn't freedom. This is fear. We are not the government. The government is not us. This is the files. Woo! All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Dino Files. This is episode ninety-nine. Recording on the 18th of, it's May, right? Everything, their time doesn't matter anymore. Coming at you live on Alternative Internet Radio, AIRAD.io slash live from Mega City 3. Man, finished up finals last week. And so this is the first show back after the finals crunch, and boy, am I ready to do a damn show. I've been going freaking nuts, just like everybody else. But we have an interesting mix, an eclectic mix. We have a couple of pieces of good news, several pieces of bad news. I'm just, uh, man. I am just so sick of not being able to go, like, see a movie when I want. Just not being able to go out and do shit when I want to go out and do shit. Let's see if Mycroft's done telling me what NPR has to say. They're still not done. Holy shit. Um... Man, it, it, it's, it's been an absolute freaking disaster. 
crap going on around my residence. I ended up yelling at a cop. It was a whole fucking thing. Um, <laughs> let's get into the news. <laughs> this is good news. I actually have good news to start us off. Uh, this from thefire.org, the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education. As per usual, we have a piece by Joe Cohn. New Title IX regula- I'm not gonna read this entire thing, by the way. Uh, new Title IX regulations carefully balance the rights of all students. On May 6th, the Department of Education completed a nearly 18-month-long process of reforming how educational institutions must handle Title IX complaints uh, by publishing new regulations that take seriously the rights of complainants and accused students alike. The new regulations, barring congressional or judicial intervention, take effect on August 14th and will ensure that all, I'm sorry, that allegations of sexual misconduct are neither ignored nor prejudged. Fire has long held, why is that making noise? That shouldn't be making noise. Um, fire has long held the view that to appropriately address sexual misconduct, universities have to be concerned about the rights of both student complaints and those they accuse. Uh, unfortunately, we live in a world where there are people who are victims of sexual misconduct, where people are also sometimes wrongly or mistakenly accused. Proper investigations and adjudications with meaningful safeguards are the only way to do right by everyone. Before diving into an analysis of the regulations, it's worth noting that, in contrast to the subsequently rescinded Department of Education April 4th, 2011 Dear Colleague letter and accompanying, tw accompanying 2014 Title IX guidance, these new regulations went through an extensive notice and commitment process soliciting input from a broad array of stakeholders. As a consequence, despite the hyperbole from opponents, the new regulations reflect a far more balanced approach and will, thankfully, have the actual force of law. I'm going to come over here and make sure that no more new, uh, I'm sorry, noise is made over there. Um, uh, da, 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 force of law. The regulations are accompanied by nearly 2,000 pages of commentary from the Department of Education where the department addresses the input it received during the notice and commitment, and I'm sorry, notice and comment process. The regulation itself begins on page 2008. So this is actually good news. Um, the, 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 the basic gist of the article is that there will be an ability, basically due process is going to be allowed to happen on campuses uh, with regard to Title IX complaints, which hasn't been the case. Um, people have not been allowed to face their accuser. The, the there's been a whole. It's been a rigmarole. It's been there's been no process for uh, uh, those accused of Title IX violations, be it sexual misconduct or what, or what have you, on campuses. And this would strengthen those safeguards. I'm not going to read the rest of it. It goes into relatively uh, extensive detail about the actual regulations and all that other stuff. I don't want to dive into that right now, but I will put this in the. Uh, in the show notes for anyone who is interested in it. I also have a follow-up to this story from Reason. <laughs> the ACLU sues to stop rules that strengthen due process. The ACLU versus due process, if you're looking for more evidence that the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU, has been losing its principled approach to civil liberties, look no further. The group has filed suit to thwart Education Secretary Brett, Betsy DeVos's recently proposed reforms to bolster due process protections for students accused of sexual misconduct. Quote, DeVos has discarded decades of the Department of Education's experience addressing sexual harassment. Shitty experience. What the fuck are you saying? Addressing sexual harassment and assault by promulgating regulatory provisions that sharply limit educational institutions' uh, uh, obligations to respond to reports of sexual harassment and assault, wrote the ACLU in the lawsuit. Uh, quote, if allowed to be implemented at educational institutions nationwide, these provisions will make the promise of equal education opportunities, irrespective of sex, even more elusive. This is true for all students, including students of color, LGBTQ students, and students with and without disabilities in grade school, high school, and higher education. The lawsuit frequently asserts that marginalized students will suffer under the new rules because it never acknowledges that students of color were disproportionately harmed by the old rules. Uh, white woman accuses black man of rape, black man is expelled was a distressingly common series of events under the old regime, one that might have invited sympathy from an older model of the ACLU, given the organization's historic concern that racism in the criminal, uh, in, in the criminal justice system has led to disparity and harsh outcomes for black people. Not this time, but to the extent the lawsuit addresses racism, it uses it as a cudgel to break down DeVos's carefully considered revisions to some Obama-era rule changes. The lawsuit frequently notes 
as if this is some trump card that should override the new protections, that there is now a different standard for allegations of sex-based discrimination than there is for race-based discrimination on campuses. Uh, then there is a quote. Oh, yeah, I'm done with that. They talk about it more as well. I'm, I, I have no, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so fucking done with the ACLU. I'm, I'm beyond done with the ACLU. They're old. They, they, their old president, I can't remember her name, but she wrote a book called Hate that's uh, really, really good. I need to look up her name real quick. Just give me a moment. The book's title is Hate, Why We Should Resist It With Free Speech, Not Censorship, uh, written by Nadine Strawson. Uh, Nadine Strawson, let me pull up it. I want to make sure I get her position right. I believe she was the president of the ACLU. Um, I don't know why I'm still typing this stuff up. I didn't ask Mycroft. Let's see what. Let's see if Mycroft knows. Um, hey, Mycroft. Who is Nadine Strawson? Let's see if it knows. Nadine Strawson is an American civil liberties activist who is president of the American Civil Liberties Union from February 1991 to October 2008. Fuck yeah, well done, sir. The name is for sir. The fucking voice is a man. I don't give a shit. Um, that's accurate. Okay, cool. Um, in case you're wondering, that is that, that, uh, system, I talked about it on Twitter a, a while back, but it is a, I have it running on a Raspberry Pi, it's a system called Mycroft. Uh, no, not you. And, uh, it, one of the things that it does is, it's, it's basically a, uh, a, um, it's an open source sort of, uh, assistant type program. Uh, Jake in the chat, Nadine Strawson had a really good interview on the Ribbon Report. I know, I know. Yeah, I know. Ruben, Ruben does good interviews every now and then. He's actually a good interviewer. I, I respect Ruben's ability to do an interview. Um, and so Nadine Strawson on Ruben would probably be a great thing to watch. Uh, yeah, she's she's wonderful. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Uh, Mycroft. This is a system that's basically like an AI personal assistant, open source thing, privacy respecting, that's supposed to be a somewhat competitor to the uh, Amazon Echoes and Google Voice Assistants of the world. It's okay. It's not amazing. It's also not terrible. I've, I've certainly used worse systems, especially like, like uh, Siri back in the day was garbo. And, uh, and, and this performs better than that. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to the system if you want to try and use it for yourself. Um, I want to use a few of these. Because there's a couple of solutions like this out there, open source, privacy respecting. Um, there are some that run totally locally. This one does not. This one actually does communicate with servers. Um, there are some that run totally locally on the machine that you have. Uh, so I'm, I'm just, I don't know. I want to try a few of these things. I'm interested in what the uh, free and open source um, and, and privacy respecting software community uh, does with this kind of technology. And so I'm trying one out. And and. Just like with Nadine Strawson just now, it was able to tell me who that was, and that's the kind of thing that I think could be really useful for a show like this as well, just to be able to ask it a question like that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's okay. <laughs> Sometimes it is not right, <laughs> and that can be troubling. But regardless, let's move on. Another story from Reason. Justin Amash drops out of the presidential race. I guess full stop on that. I actually don't want to go into the story. <laughs> Justin Amash dropped out. He, uh, he basically said um, it's... Frankly, what I think he realized is that you can't start your campaign in the middle of a news cycle that is dominated by something that you cannot control or take attention away from. You can't start your campaign in that situation with no money and also in freaking uh, June. No, I'm sorry. Uh, April was when he started it. So like, like you, you can't you can't do that. <laughs> That's not going to work. So I think before he sunk any more money in it and shit like that, he just said, fuck it, I'm not doing it. Um, which is the only thing that makes sense, uh, even though a third-party candidate, as, an, as a, a viable third-party candidate, as an answer to the can't vote for Trump, can't because he's terrible, and can't vote for Biden because he's also terrible, uh, a viable third-party candidate. I heard people talking who would, I, I would never pin as someone who would vote for a libertarian who were saying, I might just vote for Amash. Um, so I think if there was ever a time that like a, a higher profile third party candidate could get the 5% that it takes to get federal funding in the next cycle, um, this would be the time. But, you know, people also said that with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump too, those are the two most unlikable candidates ever run. And the Democrats picked the only person who's more unlikable than Donald Trump. So 
I guess maybe maybe that's a still pie in the sky regardless because it's still a two-party system and they have control. So I don't know. I don't know. I could be dreaming. But I, I, I do think that... I mean, then as now, like, if ever there were an opportunity, this is it. <laughs> um, let's move on to another story. Uh, because I had a run-in with cops, I wanted to cover a shitty cop story. The Breonna Taylor shooting shows how reckless drug war tactics lead to senseless deaths. This is also from Reason. I may have already said there were people from the 15th, uh, written by Jacob Sullivan. The shooting of Breonna Taylor, which happened on March 13th, but is only now getting national attention, highlights once again the deadly recklessness of dynamic entry police raids. The very tactics that police use to minimize violence aimed at discombobulating their targets and catching them off guard in the hope of, dis of discouraging resistance predictably lead to fatal misunderstandings. These tactics are especially inappropriate when police enter homes in service of the war on drugs, as they did in this case. Taylor, a 26-year-old EMT and aspiring nurse with no criminal history, was killed by plainclothes Louisville police officers who kicked in the door of her apartment with a battering ram shortly before 1 a.m. At the time, Taylor was in bed with her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker. Walker's lawyer said he fired once at the armed intruders, not realizing they were police officers. One officer was struck in the leg. The cops responded with a hail of bullets, at least 20 shots, according to lawyers representing Taylor's mother. Taylor was hit, in, uh, uh, was hit at least eight times. The Louisville Courier Journal reports that journal, I'm sorry, reports that police were targeting two men they suspected of selling drugs at a house more than 10 miles away, one of whom, Jamarcus Glover, was arrested that same night. The no-knock search warrant for Taylor's apartment was based on a package that Glover delivered there. The Courier Journal says uh, police believed that Glover, who had dated Taylor, quote, used her home to receive mail, keep drugs or stash money earned from the sale of drugs. No drugs were found in the apartment. Although the search warrant authorized police to enter without announcing themselves, the Louisville Metro Police Department said the officers, quote, knocked on the door several times and announced their presence as police uh, who were there with a the search warrant. Yeah, at 1 fucking a.m. when everyone's asleep. Great fucking work. As Zuri Davis notes, four neighbors contradicted that claim, but even if the official account is accurate, it is completely plausible that Walker and Taylor, who were asleep in bed in the middle of the night, did not hear or comprehend those warnings. Walker, who has been charged with attempted murder of a police officer, reportedly called 911, and Taylor's mother saying someone was breaking into the apartment. If all this sounds familiar, it's because police across the country create this sort of dangerous situation again and again. Even if the no-knock Houston drug raid that killed, I'm sorry, Mega City 3 drug raid that killed Dennis Tuttle and, uh, I've never figured out how to pronounce her name, Douglas, last year had not been based on a fraudulent search warrant affidavit, the tactics that police used would have led to the same deadly outcome. According to Mega City 3 Police Chief Art Acevedo, the biggest piece of shit on the planet, the cops who, like the officers who killed Taylor, were not wearing body cameras, quote, announced themselves as Mega City 3 police officers while simultaneously breaching the front door. One of the officers immediately used a shotgun to kill the couple's dog, prompting Tuttle to fire at the intruders with his revolver. As in the Taylor case, the officers responded with overwhelming force, shooting Tuttle at least eight times and Nichols at least twice. Four officers were wounded during the exchange of fire. The raid was conducted around 5 p.m., but lawyers representing Nicholas's family say, she and Tuttle were taking, quote, an afternoon nap in their bedroom at the time. As with Walker, it is plausible that Tuttle, who it turned out was not actually a heroin dealer, did not realize the men who burst into his house and fired the first shot uh, were police officers. Narcotics officers executing search warrants, quote, don't show up in uniform, Acevedo said, the biggest piece of shit on the planet said, but they do show up with plenty of gear that identifies them as police officers, including patrol officers that are out in front of the house. <sighs> you fucking prick. But patrol officers outside the house do not give people inside the house notice that the men breaching their door and killing their dog are cops. And it's not clear what other, quote, gear Acevedo had in mind. Probably fucking tack vests and shit. Because this dude's a fucking prick. Our Acevedo, when I say he's the biggest piece of shit on the planet, I'm not, it's not hyperbole. Our Acevedo might be the biggest piece of shit on the planet. Um... And since the plainclothes officers who burst into the house did uh, so without warning, quote, announcing themselves at the same moment they were breaking down the door, it would not be surprising if Tuttle missed that announcement and any other clues to their identity. After the raid, Acevedo announced that narcotics officers would henceforth use no-knock warrants only in extraordinary circumstances and with approval from his office. But the distinction between a no-knock warrant and a knock-and-announce warrant makes little practical difference when a home's residents are asleep and or police breach the door immediately after announcing themselves. It then goes in to cover a few more of these same types of instances. Fuck the police, y'all. ACAB, all cops are bastards. Have no respect for these men. They murder with impunity and with the force of the state. They are not to be respected. They are not to be trusted. They are not to be spoken to. I say this in, in all dead-ass seriousness. Do not speak to cops. 
Do not speak to cops without an attorney present. I don't care if they're just asking you a couple of questions, buddy, about what happened down the street. Do not talk to the fucking cops without an attorney present ever. Ever. That is not hyperbole. Never talk to the cops without an attorney. They can't make you. They cannot make you. <sighs> you might get arrested, but like, you know, don't talk to them. Because if they can pin a fucking crime on you, they will. This is a story that comes to us from the Discord. This was posted by Denver Libertarian, I believe. Um, facing backlash, this is Fox 31, Denver. Facing backlash, Frontier will not offer more room option for passengers. I thought the story was a little bit funny. Uh... Denver-based Frontier Airlines will not offer a more room option for passengers after receiving widespread criticism. The $39 option would have guaranteed passengers an empty middle seat next to them. The option was announced Monday and would have been available on, flight, on flights starting Friday. On Wednesday, Barry Biffle, the airline's president and CEO, said more room would no longer be offered. Why do I have the hiccups? Why do I have the hiccups? Why does this always happen to me? Just a moment. Okay, I think I took care of it. In a letter to lawmakers in Washington, Biffle said, quote, We recognize the concerns raised that we're profiting from safety, and this was never our intent. We simply wanted to provide our customers with an option for more space. However, we will rescind the seat price increase associated with the More Room product and revert to our former seat assignment pricing. We will leave the seats blocked, which were associated with this product, and honor purchases made by all customers who bought the product up until now. In the letter, Biffle said Frontier has, quote, led the industry in terms of safety procedures since the beginning of the pandemic. The company's leader also said that, that passenger traffic has uh, recently increased and Frontier decided to require face masks on board. Quote, while we believe this ensures safety, we know some customers want a more peace of mind and therefore introduced the more room product that guaranteed an empty middle seat. Uh, he added that blocking all middle seats or a third of all seats would result in fare increases of 50% in order to maintain the same revenue. Quote, this would not only be harmful to consumers, but it would cause further strain on the economy at a time when our country can least afford it, Biffle said. He concluded the letter by saying Frontier will, quote, continue to be consistent with the broader industry and make best efforts to ensure that as much social distancing as possible throughout the aircraft. So there are two kind of funny sides to this. The first is them charging like that to rather than just raising ticket prices across the board, just making the flight slightly more expensive and 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 allowing people to have that middle seat uh, by default, they decided to charge for it. That's kind of funny. But what is also funny is the fact that they had an option that people who were complaining and demanding the, the, uh, the uh, uh, physical spacing, I will not say the other, the other term, um, voluntarily, I will say it in a story, but not myself. The, the people who are demanding that people be physically spaced are, this is great, right? This is like, this is, this is exactly what they need, but the problem is those same people accuse the, the airline of profiting off of safety. <laughs> Well, now you don't get the safety. So, congratulations, you played yourself. This also comes to us from the Discord. Let's go to the channel it was posted in because I want to ensure that I give credit to the right person for sharing it. Uh, this comes from Bullshito in the Discord. Um, these were posted a while back. This was post published on the on the 7th of May, but they were, they were posted in the Discord while I was not doing the show because of finals and stuff like that, and I want to get caught up on these stories because they're all very good, um, and I'm, I'm glad that they were shared. Um, actually, you know what? From where we are here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm reordering this. Let's cover this first. Let's do two more stories before we get to that. The first story comes to us from Motherboard. Senate votes to allow FBI to look at your web browsing history without a warrant. The government just got even more power to spy on your internet habits as millions remain quarantined at home. This was published on the 13th. The U.S. Senate has voted to give law enforcement agencies access to web browsing data without a warrant, dramatically expanding the government's surveillance powers in the midst of COVID-19's pandemic. The power grab was led by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell as part of a reauthorization of the Patriot Act, which gives federal agencies broad domestic surveillance powers. Senators Ron Wyden and Steve Daines attempted to remove the expanded powers from the bill with a bipartisan amendment. But in a shock upset, the privacy-preserving amendment fell short by a single vote after several senators who would have voted yes failed to show up to the session, including Bernie Sanders. Nine Democratic senators also voted no, causing the amendment to fall short of the 60-vote threshold uh, needed to pass. The, uh, quote, the Patriot Act should be repealed in its entirety, set on fire, and buried in the ground, Evan Greer, a deputy director for Fight for the Future, told Motherboard. Quote, it's one of the worst laws passed in the last century, and there's zero evidence that the mass surveillance programs it enables have saved a single human life. 
The vote comes at a time when internet usage has skyrocketed, with tens of millions of Americans quarantined at home during the COVID-19 pandemic. Privacy advocates have warned for over a decade that allowing warrantless access to web search queries and browsing data allows law enforcement to easily crack down on activists, labor organizers, or anyone else the government deems a threat. Quote, today the Senate made clear the purpose of the Patriot Act is to spy on Americans. No warrants or due process necessary, Dayton Young, director of, uh, director of Product at Fire for the Future, told Motherboard. Quote, any lawmaker who votes to reauthorize the Patriot Act is voting against our constitutionally protected freedoms, and there's nothing patriotic about that. <laughs> nice little stinger there at the end. There's nothing patriotic about the Patriot Act. Yeah, no kidding. Um, this is a long, 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 long piece. Man, I'm really blazing through these. I'm punchy today. I haven't done a show in so long. I'm super punchy. I'm just like, like hammering through these fucking stories. Uh, this might end up being a short show. Um, this, this many stories would usually fill an hour, but man, I'm, I'm really hammering through them. Um, let's look at this opinion piece that was recently written. Uh, it was published on the 18th, that's today, in the New York Times, written by Susan Faldi. I'm sorry, Flutie. This, I, I just can't get over this headline. Believe all women is a right-wing trap. How feminists got stuck answering for a canard. Joe Biden has been accused of sexual assault and conservatives are having a field day, exultant that they've caught feminists in a new hypocrisy trap. A woman with no corroboration beyond contemporaneous accounts charges a powerful man with a decades-old crime. Hmm. Doesn't that sound mighty close to the Christine Blasey Ford complaint against Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh? Yet this time, many liberals who've championed the Me Too movement seem skeptical. Gotcha. Oh, Jake, in the chat, any articles on the German COVID protests? I know you love European protesters. Oh, yes, I do love European protesters. And I do not have any stories about that. Um, I didn't know that was happening. Let me pull one up real quick. I've got one from International Business Times. I will read that uh, after the break. Um, after I finish this, we're going to do the break, and then I will start on uh, gloating about COVID-19 stuff because everything I've been saying has been revealed to be it wasn't that hard if you know literally anything about any of this it's not difficult to see what's coming down the pipe with the COVID-19 thing as far as the numbers and all this other shit are concerned um Jake the anti-Bill Gates signs are great oh I'm sure they are um let me go oh here back to this opinion piece Tim Graham executive editor of Newsbusters quote where is the Me Too movement on this story what happened to their rigid believe all women boilerplate Fox News host Tucker Carlson, quote, The infuriating, the sickening hypocrisy of the media and the professional feminist movement believe all women. No, they don't. White House advisor Kellyanne Conway, quote, Three magic words, believe all women. I didn't hear an asterisk. I didn't see a footnote. Believe all women so long as they're attacking somebody aligned with President Trump. Believe all women so long as they have a college degree or better or are, are for abortion in the ninth month. <laughs> that man, Kellyanne, get your shit together. Uh, in fact, quote, believe all women does have an asterisk. It's never been feminist boilerplate. What we are witnessing is another instance of the right decrying what it imagines the American women's movement to be. I'm sorry, this is so fucking... What is... Does this qualify as gaslighting? This article? Spend some mind-numbing hours tracking the origins of believe all women on social media sites and news databases as I did, and you'll discover how language like a virus can mutate overnight. All of a sudden, yesterday's quotes suffer from the insertion of some foreign DNA that makes them easy to weaponize. In this case, that foreign intrusion is the word all. All insertion was uh, all the rage during the Kavanaugh hearings when senators from Kamala Harris to Maisie, uh, Maisie Hirono had their regard for Blasey. Uh, Dr. Blasey's credibly elevated by Fox News pundits to universal gender credulity. In their actual words, I believe her became believe all women. Quote, that's literally the hashtag, former Fox News contributor Morgan Ortana said in February 2019. There's a great search function on Twitter. You can just search the hashtag Believe All Women. And for those of you who don't believe, that's what the Democrats had in the case of Kavanaugh. Is there literally a hashtag? Well, kind of. Meaningfully tracking hashtags on Twitter is a confounding chore. Oh, it's only a confounding chore when it doesn't prove your fucking point. <sighs> Even for the professional data scrapers I consulted. Oh, you, 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 oh, you consulted data scrapers. That's fucking good to know. <sighs> My God. Um, quote, it's a very interesting rabbit hole. Pablo Morales Henry, digital archivist at Harvard University's Schlesinger Library, which maintains a collection of more than 30 million Me Too related tweets, told me. Nevertheless, it, uh, let's take the uh, Ortega's challenge. As she noted, Twitter has a search function that, while hardly great, 
does at least crudely reflect the site's use. It's fucking great. Twitter advanced search is a great tool for the size of site that Twitter is. Advanced search is incredibly effective. What kind of person is sitting here talking about how good or not good a search function is when she calls people who are data collectors and analysts scrapers? This fucking bitch. Oh my God. I have so little, so little patience for people like this. I have so little patience for assholes like this who go on the internet and talk about shit they do not understand and then do it, do it with their fucking noses in the air. Oh, I hate it. I, I really fucking hate it. Uh, especially by its most popular users who are most likely to spend a hashtag, to spread a hashtag far and wide. For instance, type in hashtag Black Lives Matter or hashtag Make America Great Again for 2016 and you get a bottomless well of references. Type in hashtag Believe All Women for 2017 when the Me Too movement took off in October and you get several dozen references followed in 2018, the year of the Kavanaugh hearings, by many more. But here's the thing. I found that the hashtag is by a wide margin mostly used by its detractors. It seems that Believe All Women first appeared on Twitter and like, yeah, that's what, that's what launches hashtags is the hate. What, la what launches hashtags isn't the people who agree with it. It's the people who disagree with it. Hashtags are launched by the people making fun of the hashtag. That's, that's a, kind of a dirty little secret about the way that hashtagging and trending actually works. If you make people angry, that's how it trends. It doesn't have anything to do with like the number of people who actually agree with it. Oh my god. It seems that hashtag Believe All Women first appeared on Twitter in late 2014 in, th in three tweets by Ontario midwife, a Toronto educator, and quote, lifelong learner, and... Jenna and Kayla, twins from Ottawa, who plan events in their spare time. Combined following, fewer than 4,000 followers. Then in the fall of 2015, Hillary Clinton posted a tweet, To every survivor of sexual assault, you have a right to be heard, you have a right to be believed. To which Juanita Broderick, who alleges that Bill Clinton raped her in 1978, responded on Twitter on January 6, 2016, quote, Hillary tried to silence me. Conservative editor David French, who has a large... I'm, okay, hold on a second, I'm already confused. Because the Hillary Clinton tweet that you just put up, that you just quoted, Quote, to every survivor of sexual assault, you have a right to be heard. You have a, the right to be believed. That is a positive right that Hillary Clinton is saying accusers of sexual assault have the right to be believed. I guess technically, okay, you could get a little bit word tricky. You could start ant fucking and you could say to every survivor of sexual assault, meaning that only survivors of sexual assault have the right to be believed and open yourself up an opportunity to use uh, uh, bad faith linguistics to absolve yourself of your sins. Oh, God. Oh, she continues to talk about the fucking cat. I'm, I'm going to put this. I'm not I'm not going to put an actual link to the article in the uh, in the show notes because I don't want to give them any clicks. But I what I will do is uh, I've got the whole thing screenshotted. So I'll put a big PNG in the show notes and you can look at that. If you're interested in reading this story, I can't do it. I just can't do it anymore. The whole thing is like, the whole thing is rewriting history in such an interesting way that I, I just, it, 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 it reeks of someone. I'll tell you what it reeks of. It reeks of someone who only sees verified blue check Twitter. Like, you know, you know how the blue checks only have the option to look at other blue checks? Like, like they, they have an option to look at their elevated ivory tower form of Twitter where they can turn off all the plebeians and only see other blue check accounts. It reeks of someone who uses Twitter that way. Because if you think that hashtag believe all women was only used by the right or was started by the right, you're fucking insane. That is not where it began. It may have blown up due to anger from the right, but... Literally, Hillary Clinton said all survivors of sexual assault. I don't have any fucking... I, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you this. I do not have any, any... And this goes for Republicans, too. People who fucking love Donald Trump. I do not have any respect, pity. I will not give a second fucking thought to people who will take a politician like Donald Trump or like Bill Clinton or like uh, Joe Biden. Here's the thing. Joe Biden is identifiably a fucking creep. This dude has been a fucking creep forever. He cannot stop sniffing children. On top of that, there are court documents that came out, court documents from the 90s, during Tara Reid's separation from her husband, then husband, and subsequent restraining order, 
in which the husband, ex-husband, was petitioning to get that restraining order uh, uh, taken away. I forget what the word is. And in that document, part of his argument is that, look, Tara is just super traumatized. An event of sexual harassment that happened in Joe Biden's office. And it names Joe Biden's office. It doesn't say Joe Biden directly, but it says Joe Biden's office. So, like, the people who say there's no evidence for this, and here's the thing, it's not even that that bothers me. It's not even that that bothers me. What bothers me is the fact that I've seen people on Twitter who have said, they have said this. Joe Biden could literally rape my daughter and I would still vote for him over Trump. Hit me up on Twitter. I will send you the screenshot because this is not rare. This thing has this, that sentiment has been floating around Twitter ever since the Terry Reid allegations came out. So, you know, if you're somebody, if you're somebody with that point of view, go fuck yourself. And I think, I think literally anyone with half a brain would agree with me. If you're somebody who says Joe Biden could literally rape my child and I would still vote for him. Yeah. Okay. You know what? You're fucking insane. It's time. Why didn't it fire? Did something break already? Certainly hope not. There we go. But it's will do fun. It's time for who do you trust? Hubba, hubba, hubba. Money, money, money. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? I'll tell you who I trust. Yeah. I'll tell you who I trust. I trust Superior, executive producer Xerxes. And saw you 77. I trust executive producer Childerberg. And I trust producers Max Ogburn, Absurdus Fool, and Whoa Dude. Thank you all so much for being there on the subscribe star. I, uh, I'll probably request a payout next month since I, since I missed so much. I actually don't know. Okay, guys, I'm going to reveal a level of ignorance that I am. If I'm right about my suspicion on this, I am going to feel like an absolute fucking shit heel. And this is not a joke. This is legitimately me realizing I didn't even think about this possibility and I may have been the biggest dick on the planet this entire time. Like the entire time that I've had a subscribe star, I'm not kidding you. My understanding of the subscribe star system was that when you requested a payout, it would charge. That when you requested a payout, it would charge your subscribers. And I never gave that a second thought. I just thought that's how it works. You request a payout and then it charges. I am looking at, like I was looking at Subscribestar earlier and I'm, I'm realizing, holy shit. I think people are getting continually charged. And I, I absolutely did not mean, you've heard me say on the show, I'm not going to request a payout for this month because I didn't really do enough shows. I don't feel right about it. Blah, 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 blah. I, I, I think though that the subscribers have been getting continually charged for like when I take a break for a couple of weeks or something like that for finals or whatever it may be. I did it over the holidays. I, of course, I paused the subscribe star actively over the holidays um, so that nobody would sign up and all this other stuff just in case. But I didn't think that people were getting charged when I wasn't fucking requesting payouts. Like I, I, I and I'm looking at the subscribe star. It's the only thing that makes sense. So I feel like the biggest fucking shitheel on the planet. Jake in the chat says I'm cool with being charged regularly. I know you are, but I don't feel good taking people's money when I'm not doing a show. Like, I don't, I don't feel good when I'm not turning out at least three shows a month. If I'm not turning out at least three shows a month, I do not feel good taking, uh, taking people's money. That's, that's one week per month that I may not get a show out. I like to do one every week. But if I'm not getting out three shows a month, I do not feel right about it. And I think I've been doing it this entire goddamn time. I haven't been requesting the payouts. I'm looking at Subscribestar right now. And there's money that's like backed up in the system, but I haven't requested the payout for it. So what I'm going to try to do, what I'm going to try to do is take that money that's backed up in the system. And I'm going to see if there's a method to charge that back. And if Subscribestar can charge that back and maybe charge me like Subscribestar's fee or something like that, um, because I'd be totally willing to do that. There may not be a way to do that. I'm going to get on with Subscribestar support some point, sometime soon and, and try to see if there's a way to do that. It, there may not be. And if there's not, I am so fucking sorry, you guys. I did not know that's how it worked. Because I think, like, looking at it, it's the only thing that makes sense. And I feel like an absolute piece of shit for it. Because I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. 
I absolutely had no idea. And part of this was because like something happened with the subscribe star earlier that made me look at it. And I was like, there's a charge here that shouldn't have happened because I never requested a payout. So it's, I am, I am like, I'm, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel terrible about it. I feel really, 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 really bad about it. Um, I didn't, I wasn't aware that that was happening. I, I'm going to get on with subscribe star support, uh, in the very near future and see if there's a way that I can get at least some of that charged back to the people who sent it in. Because if I'm not requesting a payout, I obviously don't feel like I should be paid. And if you guys are still getting charged, I feel like a dick. So I'm going to be, what I'm going to do is moving forward, I'm going to be much more careful about like 100% pausing the subscribe star and not taking a payment for a month or, or whatever it is when I, when I feel like I'm not owed one. Um, also, I mean, I'll, I'll just have to. One of the things I'll really have to do is try to make sure that I'm turning out content regularly. And that's something that I, I actually got on a relatively good schedule, a pretty good schedule during, um, like during school and stuff. But when finals come around and then holidays come around, things get a little strange and it's difficult to do a show. I know that during the, during the semester, I was on a really good schedule. I was, I was getting shows out pretty regularly, but, um, I'm, I, I, I feel like, I feel like a fucking fool. I feel terrible. Uh, because I, I kept saying, well, I'm just not going to take a payout. Like that mattered. Like, I feel like an idiot. Oh God. Um, I'm so sorry about that. Like I said, I'm going to get a hold of subscribe star support. See if there's a way I can charge any amount of that back. Um, if there's not, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I, I am sorry. I have no idea, uh, how to make it up to you. Um, oh God. Uh, anyway, now that I... I guess understand how in the fuck subscribe star works. If you'd like to join the producers, <laughs> I feel like such a tool. You know what? I'm not even going to do it. I'm not even going to do it. There are donation links in all the places. I'm, I'm not even going to do it. I'm just going to thank the people who are there and who have been there through my obvious stupidity. Um, superior executive producers, XCRC and saw 77 executive producer, Childerberg producers, Max Ogburn of Certus Fool. And whoa, dude, all of you are beautiful, beautiful diamonds in the rough, uh, beautiful wolves amongst ravens, bright, bright spots of light in this dark, dark place that we all call the internet. I am fucking mortified. <laughs> Like you have you have no idea how fucking mortified I am by this. Um uh, but you know, they say that the show must must never stop. Uh this from the International Business Times, and thank you, Jake, for bringing this to my attention. Coronavirus protests, anti-lockdown demonstrations erupt across several German cities. This was published on uh, today, the 18th, to the International Business Times. Thousands of Germans took to the streets over the weekend to protest Chancellor Angela Merkel's lockdown policies on Saturday. Police detained over 200 people in Berlin, while 1,500 people gathered in Frankfurt to protest the coronavirus restrictions. In Stuttgart, more than 5,000 people gathered to demonstrate, with one protester carrying a slogan, Coronavirus is fake. <laughs> in Munich, police limited the rally to 1,000 people. Thomas Haldenwang, the president of Germany's domestic intelligence agency, told, uh, told the Welt am Sonntag newspaper Sunday that right-wing extremists were exploiting the demonstrations. Ken Jibson, Jibson, I'm assuming, a German YouTuber and right-wing conspiracy theorist, has frequently participated in the protests. Merkel has left it up to Germany's 16 states on how to reopen certain businesses, such as bars, restaurants, and movie theaters. Although Germany has seen a fair amount of coronavirus cases, the country has not seen the many deaths as, uh, as many deaths as other European hotspots due to widespread testing and an oversupply of hospital beds. Germany's economy has been hard hit due to coronavirus, with Merkel on Monday announcing a 500 billion euro recovery fund with French President Emmanuel Macron. <clears throat> Germany first introduced social distancing restrictions in mid-March, although Germany is now reopening areas and towns that will see more than 50 new cases per 10,000 residents within seven days could see a renewed lockdown and prevent this, uh, to prevent the spread of infection. As of Monday, uh, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, there are 176,551 coronavirus cases in Germany and a death toll of 8,003. Um... Man, I love European protests. I just love them. I absolutely love them. Um, uh, just like just like Jake said in the chat, I absolutely love European protests. They they tend to be pretty good at it. Uh, the French, I think, are the best. Uh, but the Germans are probably pretty close, right? Um, 
the British, the British just are kind of dicks when they protest. The French, I think the French are probably the best. Um, the Germans, I'm, I'm, I love this coronavirus is fake. And Jake said that the, that the anti-Bill Gates signs are great. And I absolutely believe that. Um, this is a story that comes to us uh, also from the Discord. This is the one I was trying to get to earlier from Bullshito. Uh, published on the 7th of May to RT. Lockdown-inspired suicides on course to dwarf coronavirus deaths in Australia and in, the, and in time, even in the U.S. The global suicide rate is accelerating as coronavirus-triggered lockdowns, supercharged depression, and mass job loss push people over the edge. Australian and U.S. researchers have highlighted the threat to their countries. A spike in suicides triggered by COVID-19 lockdowns is expected to exceed deaths from the actual virus by a factor of 10 in Australia, according to researchers from Sydney University's Brain and Mind Center who published their findings on Thursday. In the best-case scenario, suicide rates will increase 25%, Professor Ian Hickey predicted, observing that 40% of those would be among young people. If the Australian economy uh, sorry, continues to deteriorate, suicide rates could increase 50%. That would add 750 to 1,500 suicides to the annual average of 3,000 deaths from suicide. And Hickey observed that these increased rates could, quote, persist for up to five years if the economic downturn lasts more than 12 months. Putting it into perspective, the coronavirus pandemic has killed 97 people in Australia as of Thursday. Over 264,000 people have died with the virus worldwide, according to statistics compiled by John Hopkins University. But while infection rates are beginning to level off or even fall in many countries, the economic hurt uh, created by government responses to the pandemic has only just begun. Even before the lockdowns began, global suicide rates were going alarmingly upward, approaching more than 800,000, according to the World Health Organization. In the U.S., suicide was already at epidemic levels before the COVID-19 pandemic hit, exploding over 35% since 1999. The country saw 400, I'm sorry, the country saw 48,344 suicides in 2018, according to the CDC, and rates have climbed most steeply in areas where economic de uh, deprivation is most severe. The lockdowns have apparently made matters worse. According to both the current stats and projections, suicides in Tennessee quickly surpassed deaths from the coronavirus following the imposition of a lockdown order in March with Knox County reporting more suicides than coronavirus deaths in the entire state, with six suicides occurring in the course of 48 hours, amounting to nearly 10% of the previous year's total. U.S. President Donald Trump warned early on, that the pan uh, early on in the pandemic that there would be, quote, suicides by the thousands if prolonged economic shutdowns were imposed, and with upwards of 33 million Americans now out of work, it's not difficult to see the fallout looming on the horizon. Given that about one in three people who die by their own hand are unemployed at the time, statistics have generalized that, they're, uh, that for every one-point increase in the unemployment rate, the suicide rate grows by 0.78 points. But with the U.S. unemployment threatening to soar past even the Great Depression's 25% rate or up to more than 20 points from what it was at the start of the year, a figure that doesn't even include those working-age Americans who've held a full-time job, I'm sorry, who've never held a full-time job, the crisis is poised to translate into thousands and thousands of extra lives lost. Trump's estimate then is no exaggeration. Since it will likely take years for the economy to return to normal, elevated suicide rates will likely persist long after the pandemic has faded into memory. As newly revealed statistics increasingly ramp up the debate on the wisdom of the lockdowns, New York, the epicenter of the pandemic, acknowledged earlier this week that 66% of coronavirus cases being admitted to the hospital were people who'd been isolated at home. Doubt is increasingly being cast on the strategy of pulling millions of people out of work in order to contain the pandemic. There's no doubt that the COVID-19 pandemic has claimed many lives, especially in the U.S., which tops the world's charts with 73,573 deaths attributed to the virus as of Thursday. But while coronavirus deaths are much more visible due to media interest, suicide remains a silent epidemic and one that threatens to explode as people remain isolated at home without income or support systems. Uh, this is a point that, that I and others have been making for weeks now, that economic downturns lead to increases in suicide, and if the mortality rate is what I believe it to be, I've been saying for a while now that I take the under on 0.8%, not case mortality rate, actual mortality rate. Once we get anybody testing, we can actually normalize the statistics and see what the actual spread of the virus was in the population. My personal belief is I'm taking the under on 0.8%. I think the, the final numbers from the economic downturn are going to make the virus numbers look like child's play. Further reinforcing my position that this entire thing was handled negligently from the very beginning, those who lied and those who failed should be held accountable, but they won't. This is another story from the Discord. I forgot to translate this. Just a moment. I need to stop talking. Okay. This is another story from the Discord. It was posted by... Uh, uh, it's also from Bullshito. 
The AIDS fund is estimating half a million extra AIDS deaths due to the lockdown. The Dutch tuberculosis fund is estimating another 6 million TB infections, resulting in 1.5 million more deaths as a result of the lockdown. I'm going to go ahead and highlight, and I have no idea what language this is actually in, but we'll see how this translation goes um, using Xtranslate. This is from uh, nos.nl. The AIDS Fund and the UN organization UNAIDS are deeply concerned about the consequences of the corona measures for HIV patients in Africa. Half a million extra deaths are expected uh, for the next six months because patients have fewer HIV inhibitors. I'm sorry, HIV inhibitors. Five, quote, five teams of scientists have been calculating models in recent weeks to find out what happens if lockdown measures in Africa continue for a longer period of time, said AIDS Fund director Mark uh, Vermeulen in the uh, NOS Radio 1 News. Quote, that gave several numbers, but the average is expected to be more than uh, 500,000 additional deaths from AIDS in the coming months. Example, Uganda. Uh, Vermilion took Uganda as an example. Okay, that's just a repeat. Bad translation. A country that has at least 5% of... A country that has at least 5% the HIV virus. Does that mean that 5% of the population is infected? Because uh, that would seem high, but believable. Um, I'm sorry, continuing. Uh, quote, people have not been allowed to go outside for weeks. That means that people cannot go to the clinic to pick up pills. They have to ask for permission, and the stigma surrounding HIV is often so great that people do not dare say that they are HIV positive. Uh, be positive and therefore have to go to the clinic. If people with HIV do not use the medicines, they can transmit the virus again, and the virus can become resistant. Not using medicines, therefore, not only leads to more AIDS deaths, but also to more HIV infections. In addition, the lockdown measures make people unemployed and able to buy food. We know that uh, eating H we know that eating HIV medication, taking HIV medication is very important, especially in children, said Vermeulen. Uh, if there are still medicines, but no food, that medication no longer works. Important lesson, okay, it's probably eating with HIV medication or something to that effect. Uh, if there are still medicines, but no food, that medication no longer works. Important lesson, HIV and AIDS fighters have uh, 40 years of experience in looking for tests and treatments for the HIV virus. Uh, quote, the most important lesson has actually been, you cannot fight an infectious disease if you exclude people. Uh, if you don't reach everyone, then the weakest in society, uh, that, uh, if you don't reach everyone, even the weakest in society, that virus will come back. He therefore considers it very important that both epidemics are, tack epidemics are tackled in the fight against Corona. He, uh, the channels for providing information about fighting HIV and AIDS are now being used for information about fighting against Corona. More practically, AIDS fund helps by making money available for the purchase of uh, cycles and scooters so that medicines and food packages can be delivered to patients' homes and health workers are provided with protective materials. TB, measles, and malaria health editor... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Those are headings that are being translated. Okay. Because it, it translates this in a single chunk, so it all ends up as a single paragraph and it screws me up. Okay, TB, measles, and malaria. Health editor Rink van Brink... I'm sorry, Rink van den Brink. That's correct. Uh, says that due to the coronavirus pandemic lockdowns, the fight against all infectious diseases has collapsed. Well, that's a very threatening situation. The Dutch KNCV Tuberculosis Foundation estimates that tuberculosis control has been delayed by five to eight years worldwide. Quote, that means that there will be more than six million additional infections and nearly one and a half million extra deaths. Uh, while that is a disease that can be controlled with vaccines and medicines, the lockdowns also threaten to... Uh, also threatened to relieve mumps, measles, and rubella because of uh, because people are unable to get their vaccines and healthcare personnel are now being used to fight corona. The World Health Organization has prepared a worst-case scenario for malaria. If all malaria control were to stop, an additional 750,000 patients would die. Uh, God, that's fucking horrifying. Bullshit, oh man. <laughs> Just dropping fucking truth bombs in the Discord. That's terrible. I hate that. Um, not the story that you dropped, bullshit, oh, the... the, the uh, the implications, the, 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 what's happening here is awful. Let's move on to another awful, terrible thing. UNICEF warns lockdown could kill more than COVID-19 as model predicts 1.2 million child deaths. This is a, a story that was posted to the Discord by Ixirsi. Uh Indiscriminate lockdowns are an, effective way, are an ineffective way to control COVID and could contribute to a 45% rise in child mortality. Written by Sarah Newey, on the, uh, posted on the 13th of May. To the Telegraph. The risk of children dying from malaria, pneumonia, or diarrhea in developing countries is spiraling due to the pandemic and, quote, far outweighs any threat presented by the coronavirus, UNICEF has warned. In an exclusive interview, Dr. Stefan Peterson, chief, health, chief of health at UNICEF, cautioned that blanket lockdowns imposed on many low- and middle-income are not an effective way to control COVID-19, 
and could have deadly repercussions. Quote, indiscriminate lockdown measures do not have an optimal effect on the virus, he told The Telegraph. Quote, if you're asking families to stay at home in one room in a slum without food or water, that won't limit virus transmission. Quote, I'm concerned about that lockdown measure. Uh, I'm concerned that lockdown measures have been copied between countries for lack of knowing what to do, rarely with any contextualization for the local situation, he said. One size fits uh, one size fits no one. The objective is to slow the virus, not to lock down people. We need to lift our eyes and look at the total picture of public health. According to a stark report published in the Lancet Global Health Journal on Wednesday, almost 1.2 million children could die in the next six months due to disruption in health services and food supplies caused by the coronavirus pandemic. The modeling by researchers at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and UNICEF found that child mortality rates could rise by as much as 45% due to coronavirus-related disruptions, while maternal deaths could increase by almost 39%. Dr. Peterson said these figures were in part a reflection of stringent restrictions on much of the world that prevent people from leaving their homes without documentation, preventing them from accessing essential health care services. In some countries, the public are also avoiding hospitals and health centers for fear of picking up COVID-19. While services have also been diverted to, focus on, I'm sorry, diverted to focus on the pandemic, vaccination campaigns against disease, including measles, have also been disrupted. At least 117 million children worldwide are likely to miss out on routine immunizations this year. Uh, Dr. Peterson warned that these trends have resulted in a reduction in the, quote, effective utilization of services, a shift which in some places could be more dangerous than the virus itself, and lockdowns have a heavy economic toll, which could trigger a rise in poverty and malnutrition. The research looks at the consequences of disruption in 118 low- and middle-income countries based on three scenarios. Even in the most optimistic case, where access to health services dropped by 15% and child wasting rose by up to, uh, by up to 10%, an additional 253,500 children and 12,200 mothers died. But the worst-case scenario, where services are reduced by 45%, the proportion of children who are, uh, the proportion of children who are wasting grows by 50%, could result in 1.16 million additional child fatalities and 57,000 maternal deaths in just six months. The modeling projected that India would see both the largest number of additional deaths in children under five and maternal mortality, followed by Nigeria, Pakistan, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, um, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Tanzania, and Indonesia are likely to be hit hard. Such a situation has some precedent. Research has shown that in 2014, during the Ebola outbreak in West Africa, more people died from indirect effects than the disease itself. But the scale of pandemic means the consequences will be far greater. Uh, the story does continue, but I think the point is made. One more. This from the Washington Examiner. 52% of American small businesses expect to lose, uh, I'm sorry, expect to close within six months because of coronavirus. Published on the 6th of May. Government responses to the coronavirus pandemic could cost the United States the majority of its small businesses. A new survey from the uh, Society for Human Resource Management found that 52% of American small businesses expect to be out of business within six months, according to Bloomberg News. The survey of 375 firms was conducted between April 15th to the 21st and doesn't factor in improved business conditions that were announced since then. Uh, quote, SHRM has tracked COVID-19's impact on work workers and the workplace for months, SHRM Chief Executive Officer uh, Johnny Taylor Jr. said. Quote, but these might be the most alarming findings to date. Small business is truly the backbone of our economy. So when half say they're worried about being wiped out, let's remember, we're talking about roughly 14 million businesses. The survey also found that over a third of small firms anticipate they uh, can keep going after six months, while 14% aren't sure. 30 million people have filed for unemployment since the coronavirus hit the U.S., and a recent study showed that roughly 30 million of, I'm sorry, roughly 30% of American small businesses were forced to close temporarily in the last couple of weeks. The dire numbers come as people across the United States in places such as Michigan and California are taken to the streets to protest government lockdown measures and make the case to local officials that it's time to reopen. A study released this week suggested that anxiety and stress over lockdown measures, including job losses and business closings, will destroy seven times more years of life than current lockdowns will save. I'm going to let that sit for a moment, and then I'll read it again. A study released this week suggests that anxiety and stress over lockdown measures, including job losses and business closing, will destroy seven times more years of life than the current lockdown will save. This was handled negligently. I've been, I feel like I've been harping on this every show, but as the things that I've been saying, look, I'm not a soothsayer. I'm just a guy who knows how charts work. And as a guy who knows how charts work, who's seen a lot of charts, who likes to look at charts for fun, who's seen what different charts look like at different levels of unemployment, 
what different charts look like at different levels of economic activity. Looking at the 2008 crash was a hobby of mine for years, just looking at these charts. I'm not special, I've just spent a lot of time, wasted a lot of time, looking at charts. And I know how these charts move when shit like this happens. So when I was saying weeks ago that the cost in lost lives, lost freedom, in lost mental health, in lost physical health, and other second and third order effects that those costs would far outweigh any damage coronavirus could have done had we handled this correctly, and will probably far outstrip any, any damage coronavirus could do now, and could theoretically outstrip any damage coronavirus could do had we done nothing. I know I've been harping on this, but this is, this was handled wrong from the very beginning. From the very, very beginning, we should have known the truth about the effectiveness of masks, that being they are somewhat to quite effective, somewhere in that range, depending on the mask. We should have known the truth about how long it was here. We still don't know the truth about that. There's some data coming out saying it could have been January. I've heard people claiming December, I think theoretically November. Since we know that it actually broke out in Wuhan in November, there are direct flights to fucking Ohio, maybe even November. We should have known these things and we should have known the truth about them early on. And if we did, if we did, we would not be in this situation. I don't believe it's a pandemic. I believe certainly we've been lied to about the origins of it. I think it probably escaped from a virology lab. It's not weird to mutate known viruses under lab conditions to see what happens, see if you can guess what a next mutation will be, things of this nature. This is how the flu vaccine is created. Those of you who get weird about flu vaccines aren't going to, you know, care about that. But those of you who aren't weird about flu vaccines will understand you mutate the flu in a lab to try and guess what the next mutation is going to be. That's why there's a different one every year. I personally don't get the flu vaccine, by the way. I don't mean to sound judgy. I don't get the flu vaccine. I also don't think it's a mind control vaccine. I don't think you're getting pumped full of mind control drugs when you get it. I don't think they cause autism necessarily. Um, I've, I've said it before on the show. I feel like I might as well just say this. I've said it before on the show. Vaccines are a black box and the companies are protected from liability. If you want to actually know that if you want to actually settle the vaccine argument, you don't argue that vaccines are hurting kids or helping kids or blah, blah, blah. If you want to actually settle the vaccine argument, you get rid of the, uh, of the protection from legal liability that's afforded the vaccine manufacturers by the government. And you see what shakes out in, 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 the, uh, in the cases. That's how you handle that. Anyway, um, uh, the, I just, I'm, I don't know. It's not weird to mutate viruses in a lab, so I'm thinking this thing probably just escaped from that lab in Wuhan that we know of. The lab that everyone's saying it escaped from, that it obviously escaped from. I think it makes total sense whether it escaped on a bat from the lab or somebody dragged it under the wet market themselves. Who knows? I think that's probably what happened, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's ultimately not what matters. Ultimately, what matters is the fact that we were lied to from the beginning. Lied to from the beginning by everyone who has any modicum of power. That's the CCP, that's the WHO, that's the CDC, that's the FDA, that's the Trump administration as a whole. Anyone with a modicum of power where this is concerned lied. And then they lied again, and then they lied again. And those who didn't lie got in the way. Some did both at the same time. I know I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm harping on this. I want to be done talking about coronavirus as much as the next guy. Uh, but we did get some other news in there. We talked a little bit about the new Title IX stuff. We talked a little bit about Justin Amash. Very little bit about Justin Amash. Uh, we talked about um, the uh, about bad cops being bad. All cops are bastards. We talked about some airline stuff. Uh, we talked about your security online being undermined by your government yet again. I think overall it's been a very good show. I want to thank everybody so much for listening. Thank those of you who hung out in the chat. Again, I want to apologize profusely for my misunderstanding of how Subscribestar actually functioned as a platform. I feel so terrible about that. And as I said, I'm going to be seeing if a chargeback is possible. I do not want to get your hopes up about that because I, I doubt Subscribestar would let me do that. Um, but I still want to see. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for listening. That's, that's, that's it for this. That's all for the show. Oh, uh, uh, let me, let me drop you guys a, uh, here we go. Um, here we go with the, because of the, because of my, uh, because of my vaccine opinions, I'll just drop this for you. I, I'm kind of retarded. 
I want to thank everybody who hung out in the chat and kept me on my toes during this recording. You can do that every week, A-I-R-A-D dot I-O slash live. I want to thank everybody who listens to the show, everybody who downloads the show, everybody who rates us and gives us a review on whatever platform you listen on. I want to thank the producers, all you glorious and magnanimous people who support this show. You can do that on AIRAD.io or on the Rogue File, roguefile.com slash donate. Uh, you can find the things that I write on the Rogue File, roguefile.com. Remember, you can find me on Twitter at Dean O Files. You can find the network on Twitter at AltNet Radio. Go ahead and give us a follow there. I love every single one of you glorious freaks, and I will be back with you next week. Y'all have a great week. This has been an alternative internet radio production. For more great shows like this, visit AIR at AIRAD.io. That's AIRAD.io.